1: Hello and welcome to the Guna Tool, back again with you guys for another episode of the Canton and Simeu show. I'm joined, as you've come to expect, by Harry Simeu. How you doing, mate? You good?
0: Yeah, all good man. How are you?
1: Yeah, good. You've set up in your corridor today. Is that what you're doing? Do you know what? I've got all these new I've got all these new backgrounds. I'm
0: not I don't I just get bored of them and I keep changing them. But yeah, you're right. This one's a bit weird, isn't it? It's like
1: it looks like you've set up in like an office corridor. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was
0: like an office at the end of the corridor, maybe. But yeah, I think it does look like you're in a hallway. A bit stupid.
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm loving the uh the variations in backgrounds. It's great. Um but no, I hope you're doing good. How's your week been? All right.
0: Yeah, all good, man. Can't complain. Um been a busy one sort of leading back up to club football coming back um it's always hard isn't it during the international break like I feel like stuff sort of takes longer because yeah you're kind of looking for stuff to do and and then what should be a bit of a down week becomes actually a little bit more stressful so that's how I found it what about you
1: yeah yeah it's been um I hate the international break there's no other way to really put it it's (laughs) just not a nice time um to be a club football fan. Uh, and especially when you're writing about club football and you're producing content about club football and you're interested in international football, just isn't really there, it's, it's really hard. Um, but I think that... Uh, I think there's thankfully in this one there's been quite a lot of stuff. Like the Saliba thing was quite an interesting angle to, to discuss. I mean, we can kick off with that. He obviously he's, he's come up with some comments today. Um, the one day I don't do my eight am shows. So t- I'm trying to take one day off a weekend now to just you know have a, 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 a morning. Yeah, it was just getting to a point where you know seven days eight am's. You know you need a day. But uh, yeah, reported this morning that he said they being Arsenal are often in contact with my agent and send me messages. They watch my matches. They tell me to continue like this. The coach, Arteta, made his choices. That's life. I left on loan, played more matches, and thanks to my performances, I became an international. He also talked about how he didn't want to... Um sit on the bench you know he said I'm sure I just can't be on the bench at Arsenal and be happy I want to play as a starter afterwards if I entered into the rotation as a substitute it's not like staying with the other 23s and never being in the squad from that it seems that's the most positive kind of response that we've had I think from Saliba isn't it
0: yeah for sure it's 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 a bit of a weird situation this like I, I feel like and you and me have agreed on this in the past that sort of the clamour around Saliba has always been Mm. a little bit too much, in my opinion. Like, yes, he's a talented lad and yes, he's got a bright future ahead of him if he can continue on the same trajectory. But to put it into context, we haven't seen this guy play a competitive game in an Arsenal shirt. So to be so certain the way Mm. some people are that he is the answer and he is the one that we should be sort of pinning all our hopes on, for me, is strange. I, I don't really get it. Um, I wrote a piece on 90 Min, which is coming out, I'd imagine, today. I I submitted it this morning. I don't know exactly when it'll come out. I'll share it when it does. But I was talking about the fact that whatever way this goes now, Arsenal have won from this loan. And and the reason for that is you either welcome him back with open arms. He puts behind him what happened before. He He sort of gets his head down, becomes part of the squad, and you add greater depth to a developing and building squad. Or you can cash in on him and probably recuperate most of what you paid for him. And, if not more. If not more. And boost our transfer kitty going into what's going to be another important summer. So I don't really see how Arsenal lose in this situation. And therefore, I don't really understand why there's so much sort of back and forth about it as if, you know, the yeah, at the time, the way we treated him when he first arrived, that first six months, that yeah. was a shambles. I described it in the article as nothing short of shambolic because it yeah. was. But we've managed to or at least his performances and and the decision to let him go to Marseille has sort of, I think rectified that in a way. I don't know what you think about it.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that the the 2020 uh, period was just awful. Like you know that that period there is, and I talked about this on on the judges channel the other day, was just probably the worst handling of a player that I can remember. Um, to be honest, at Arsenal especially one that you've invested so much money into. Uh, and I get that Mikel Arteta wasn't the coach that bought him or wasn't necessarily the one that wanted him. But, you know, he's been able to integrate players that he didn't sign, like Martinelli and, and seen them Flourish. And why that didn't necessarily happen or the decisions weren't made in the right way with um, with uh, Saliba, I, I can't get my head quite around why. I know that there was issues after the French Cup final, but to, to then follow that up with not sorting out a loan, which seemed like the obvious choice, especially when you see the benefit of hindsight, how beneficial that 18 months away from the club has been for him now. Mm. It, it just doesn't make much sense. But yeah, you're absolutely spot on. The loan was great. Uh, I have my reservations. I would have rather seen him go to an English team, um, but he wanted to go to France and it's paid off. And definitely either he will come back as a player that certainly can fight for a spot Or as someone that, you know, will move away and will get a very sizable amount of money for him. I, I too wrote a piece this week about a comparison statistically with Ben White because kind of there's a lot of obviously those two are the ones that you get brought up because White came in, took his number, 50 million pounds invested. And I feel like a lot of the people that are, I don't want to necessarily call it a cult, but there is a cult following behind Saliva. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. White is the one that always takes the fall um, for this. And, When you look at him defensively in the Premier League, his stats outstrip Saliba this season, um, playing against harder oppositions, better forwards and better oppositions week on week. Interestingly, though, and something I was going to uh, revisit in a later piece, is that Saliba's passing and progression is actually better than Ben White's in Liga. Now, it might be because of the the difference in the league and because, obviously, Marseille dominate much more of the games in 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 Liga than what Arsenal do in the Premier League, but in the same way that that's the style that Arteta wants from a defender. He fits the profile. So surely if he returns, he'd be a huge asset to what Arteta is looking to build at the club. Yeah, and
0: I think he could be an asset. My my only reservation about the William Saliba thing now is, has too much happened between mm. him and Mikel Arteta? Has the damage that was caused by that decision to essentially uh, leave him out of the squad entirely without having sorted out a loan deal, which, you know, might not all be in Arsenal's sort of might not all be at Arsenal's door. There may have been an issue with because we know that we tried to loan him back to St. Etienne, don't we? There could have mm. been an issue at that end as well. We don't really know why it is that that failed. But I guess that's my worry with Silly. But can he put behind him the rejection almost that he faced when he first returned to the club? Can he see what Mikel Arteta's doing and does he believe in it? Would he be understanding of the fact that he isn't just going to waltz into that central defence and he could find himself playing on the bench, or starting from the bench sometimes. Mm. I think all of those things are dependent on William Saliba and how he feels. I think Mikel Arteta can try and convince him, but judging by the way Mikel yeah. Arteta has spoken about him in the past and the fact that he did allow him to go on loan again, you wonder if Mikel Arteta is kind of in this place where he's like, well, now it's on you and it's up to you. You know, you want to come back. You want to prove yourself. You want to give it a go. You want to be part of this. We welcome you with open arms. But if you don't, then we can bring in a hefty fee for you. And at a time where Arsenal's financial results are not very good, and at Mm. a time where we know that we're kind of, I'd say we're more than halfway through the rebuild, but we still got a long way to go. Yeah. Bringing in that money and almost rectifying a mistake that was made under the previous regime. Because whatever way you look at it, mate. Spending £27 million on a player that then goes on to not play for you in the next two and a half years, it's not good. that's that's a mistake. Hmm. So can we rectify it by bringing in the money?
1: I don't know. Do you still think it's a mistake even considering it was like a previous regime of Emery and Raul he that were here, obviously, and now aren't? Do you still look at it as a... Do you think it's a mistake that you can put on Arteta and Edu, for instance?
0: Uh, no, because I, I, I don't think as a manager... You should be obligated to use somebody that you don't feel is right because of a mistake that somebody else has made. And look, going back to if it is a mistake, it it might not be in the long run if we manage to either sort of get him back in the team, get him working well in the squad and and being an asset for the club. And it won't be a mistake if we manage to sell him and get back the money that we spent. So either way, um, you know, that's why I say it's a win-win situation for Arsenal now. But at the time, it was a mistake. You know, we were in desperate need of improvements within that squad. And we shelled out £27 million pounds for a player who wasn't going to play for us yeah. and then didn't play for us for another year and a half after that. So it's um, uh, it was bad business at the time, but we can save it. We can rectify it in a way that we can't, for example, rectify spending £72 million on Pepe because hmm. we'll yeah. never get anything close to that back. But with Saliba, we have that opportunity.
1: Now, the reason why we did the show wasn't to discuss league, but of course, with the news coming out this morning, uh, <laughs> we couldn't really avoid it. Uh, the focus was meant to be and is going to be now on the running and this period, because thankfully international football is over and, you know, we can look ahead to 10 games that we've got to try and qualify for the Champions League. Now, to kick it off, we've obviously got Palace, but I want to know kind of how confident you are with a trickier running compared to our rivals, that we can and ultimately will get Champions League football.
0: I've never been as confident as some that we can get it. Um, And every single piece of work I do, um, every sort of show I go on, people always, like, particularly at 90 min, all the lads are always like, oh, come on, it's done. And especially a few weeks ago after we beat Wolves, uh, everybody was like, it's done. And after Villa, it was done again to them. And and throughout, I've said, no, it's not done. There's a long, long way to go here. And Tottenham have, have improved a bit of late and, you know, Kane and Son firing, which scares me a little bit. So it's not done and dusted. I'm not, I'd say I'm probably 50% confident at the moment. And I know that's lower than a lot of people, but I just think that we're one or two injuries away from being significantly weaker. Yeah. Those abject performances we've criticised United for and Spurs for, we're capable of them as well. Um, and the fact that we got to play some of these teams that we're in direct competition with and we don't have a very good record against the traditional big six, that scares me and that worries me. So, I don't know, how are you feeling? Like, percentage-wise, how, how are you feeling about Champions League qualification?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think that, We've got a great chance Um, and I think if we aren't to get it, it would be a big disappointment considering kind of the effort and the work that's been put in to get us into this position. And, you know, yes, there's been some fortune in the sense that other teams have dropped points in this race that we probably didn't expect them to drop as many points as they have, Manchester United especially. But, you know, we can't... there's There's nothing to say that the only reason we're here is because of other teams. Like, you know, that argument doesn't stack up because... We have put in significant progress on what happened last season. We've won massive games. We've taken points in, in big games. You know, doing the double over Wolves is not something we've done for nine seasons. You know, we won away at Aston Villa and at home against a side that have, uh, are looking at Arsenal, to be honest, as a side that they want to try and overtake to match and then get ahead of. And, you know, we opened up that gap to them this, this season even wider. We obviously beat Spurs at home uh, earlier on in the campaign. We, I think beyond Liverpool and, you know, some of the games that Man City have dropped points in kind of um, out of of a little bit of luck, we deserved to get a result against Manchester City on that opening day. And I know that it means nothing because we didn't get any points from that game. But, you know, the progress that you saw in that fixture, we lost the game against Liverpool in the space of 10 minutes of a game in which, you know, we were the better side for the most part. I think there is so much to look at this season of where we progressed and moved forward to, to where we position ourselves now and the benefits of some of the changes in the recruitment setup and the strategy behind that, the the, the non-negotiables, the ruthlessness with the squad, the overhaul of players that have been moved on, the decisions that have been taken with players that are huge personalities like Aubameyang and we've moved on benefiting from him not being here, whether or not you, you, whatever you feel about Aubameyang, you know, Arsenal have been a better team since he's been moved on. And that's just the fact of where we are right now. And if Lacazette gets injured, we'll probably look back with the benefit of hindsight then and maybe talk differently about it. But for now, we are benefiting from him not being here and him not being in the team because our goal tally's gone up since he's left. So there is a lot to be positive about. But yeah, I, I am confident that, you know, this form will continue. The issue for me, like you say, is, is if we do get an injury, To a player like Lacazette or to a player like Partey um, or to a player like Saka, any of those three and you look at and you go, wow, we're going to struggle to really replace them because I don't necessarily trust Pepe to come in and give what Saka gives week in, week out. I don't trust Eddie Nketiah or Gabriel Martinelli to, to be frank in a central role to give us what Lacazette's doing. More so Martinelli to, you know, lead that line with Smith-Rowe and Saka around him. But that's an incredibly young forward line. It's, I think it's an average age of like 2021. 20, so it's mental. Um, and if Partey moves out, we've got Lukonga. But Partey has been probably our best player in 2022. So Great. it's, it's going to be very tricky if you lose anyone like that. So it's that depth that should be addressed in the summer, probably.
0: 100%. And the other thing as well is when we talk about the improvement and why... So many people are feeling more positive, like at this stage, we've got 13 points more than we yeah. had at this point last season. Right. So that's significant. That is a massive difference. But outside of that, it's for me anyway, the connection that we're feeling with a team,
1: the mm-hmm. buy-in
0: that a lot of us have with this group of players, the confidence we have in them, the likability of the whole group. I feel like there's a connection developing I've I've felt it for a while. I think mm. some people needed a bit longer to kind of feel it with Mikel Arteta. I think mm-hmm. that is developing. It's getting better. The atmosphere at the ground is much better than it has been in recent years in that people are behind the team and with the team in the difficult moments. And I just think that it's the whole package that, that kind of highlights Arsenal's progress rather than just, you know, it's easy to go, oh, we've got more points than last season. But yeah. it's deeper than that. It's more than that. And if you're not an Arsenal fan, you probably wouldn't really feel the, the other bits and so i think that we're the best people to be able to not me and you specifically but well yeah, <laughs> yeah. the arsenal fans specifically are the people that yeah will be able to tell you whether there's been progress or not because a lot of football for me anyway is emotion and if i feel the right emotions that's half the battle and mm. i think that you that's a really important part of supporting a football club that can be missed if you're looking at it from the outside and to feel engaged and to feel bought into and to feel like we're moving in the right direction in all those different areas is what gives me more confidence than the points tally.
1: Yeah, the points tally is at the end of the season, based upon my predictions, very favourable, but that is only based on the most optimistic predictions you've probably ever seen from an Arsenal (laughs) fan. But it's weird, isn't it? Because you look at those 10 games, you look at Palace, you look at Brighton, you look at Southampton, you'd think we have to get nine points from nine, really. If, you know, if we're going for top four, we've got to try and win all those games. You look across the rest of the season, we have to try and win at West Ham. I think that's a really tricky game. We have to beat Manchester United home. We can't afford to lose against Spurs. Like, I would take a draw in that North London derby, to be honest, because it's important we don't allow them to catch up. So it, it's more important, I think, not to lose that game than more than anything. The Chelsea game, I, I look at as a bit of a bonus. You know, I'm not expecting a win from that, but if you can get any points from that, that's big. Um, and then you've got the other games against the likes of Leeds and Newcastle uh, and Everton, of course, on the final day. Uh, there's one game I think I'm forgetting. Or maybe I'm not actually. Is that? I think that is all 10. Um, and again, those are games that you'd, you'd hope that we pick up nine points in across those three. So when you're looking at them and you're thinking you've got 10 games, I'm only really looking at two games being Chelsea and Spurs that I think that we'll struggle You know, to get all maximum points from those games. That's probably unfair maybe on West Ham. I think it will be a battle at West Ham to get all three points. But Manchester United, I just feel like an absolute mess. And I feel like we should get three points against them at home. I I look at that West Ham away game as a harder fixture than the Man United home game. Um, But arguably less important because Man United are, of course, in the race more so than West Ham are. So I think that that pressure and the expectation is for Arsenal to win at least seven of their last 10 games. Is that a realistic expectation?
0: I don't think we need to win as many as seven. I think if we win six, we'll be in a really, really good position. you got to, you got to remember that we naturally are going to kind of sort of panic about this. And we're going to assume that there is far less margin for error than there is. I mean, I don't expect mm. Man United to go and win their next, you know, eight, nine games in this on the bounce. If they do... Then they'll deserve to finish in the top four. But yeah, it's we have to this is why we have to take this week by week. And it's why I'm trying not to get too caught up in the whole, well, if we win X amount of games, because yeah, yeah. for example, we play Crystal Palace on Monday night, and we're looking at that now as a must-win game. Now, I don't want to say that it isn't, and I don't want to say that I'll be happy with anything less than three points. But if Spurs and United were to drop points before that, I don't think they will, but if they did, or one of them did. The, the level of pressure on that game is relieved ever so slightly. And yeah. so I know people say, focus on your own job. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Well, no, that's not the way it works because as long as you stay on top of those teams yeah, going yeah. forward, if Man United and Spurs both win, we need to win simple as that. Yeah. Cause we're in the driving seat. If they don't, then we should still be aiming to win, but there is a little bit of margin for error that I think we're going to need if we're going to get over the line in this. So, I'm, that's why I want to take it week after week and see how it goes. There will be weeks where we have the advantage, uh, you know, Tottenham and United. I think both have to go to Liverpool. That's a weekend that we've got to capitalise on mm-hmm. um, equally that we go away to Chelsea, which is a game they'll feel that they can take advantage of. It's our game in hand, but it's a game they'd expect yeah, us yeah. to drop points. It's, it, it's, it's going to go back and forth a lot between now and the end of the season for me.
1: The The North London derby, whilst yet to officially be rearranged, is the rumour is it's going to be reset for a third game before the end of the season. So between our games against Leeds and Newcastle, Spurs then would have to play Liverpool the weekend before, before them playing uh, Burnley at home. Um, I think that favours us more than it does them. Um, Because obviously they'll be coming off the back of that Liverpool game. And with three games left of the season, you know, with nine points still to play, there's an argument that, you know, we could have opened up, say, a gap by that point, you'd hope maybe, and that the pressure will certainly be more so on them than it will us by that point. Yeah, I think
0: although nobody wants to have such a big pressure game, Uh, Mm. sort of sandwiched in between fixtures at the business end of the season when we all know that our squad is quite thin uh, and all of that stuff. I would say that there is a chance, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there is a chance that we can, if we continue on the right trajectory and we continue on the right path, and they drop some points, that it could become a non-event for us in that Mm. we could lose it and still have enough in the tank to get over the line. So, Being at the end of the season, it gives us time, doesn't it? To to kind of consolidate our place or at least sort of increase our chances of making it. So, yeah, I'd rather sort of be in our position than theirs for sure. It it, it was always going to happen, though, wasn't it, Tom? They were always Mm going to hold that game back until uh, a later point in the season to brand it as the big Champions League blockbuster and plaster it all over Sky for weeks, building up to it. Always going to happen. It's just football, though. We've got to live with it.
1: Yeah. And it was always, as you say, it was always going to happen. We knew it was going to happen, but I think of all the times they could have put it, I think it. I'm fine with it being there. Um, you know, I would have rather have had it later on um, than now, because say if you lose it now with nine games left, your confidence is dented for those yeah. nine games. Whereas with just two games to go, you know, you can compartmentalize that. You can focus on just having two fixtures win them both and you position yourself as best you feasibly can so I think it's it's definitely worked out for the best for us. Um, we're going to jump into the chat box now for the last uh, 15 minutes or so of the show um, so please do throw those questions into the chat box of course do drop a like on the video as well we do these shows as best as we can every single week um, if you want to see the next one you'll be able to go and find that on the Chronicles of Aguna channel which is of course Harry's channel so make sure you're getting a subscription over there because you're very close Harry so close to 20k Still, it's a bit of a slog towards this part of the season, isn't it?
0: Yeah, (laughs) it always feels like you look at it and you go, Oh, I might get there quite soon, and then you just watch that subscriber count just sort of slowly pull. towards that mark it always whenever you get towards a milestone it feels like it drags then it when you get to that yeah,
1: point but it does indeed hopefully. but no you'll be there in no time so if you aren't subscribed already people please make sure you do i'll make sure to leave a link to that in the description um Penny ween says why don't people press the likes it's a great question i don't know i don't have an answer for you but the people that are watching that haven't certainly do have an answer for you uh, and they'll be able to answer that by pressing the button indeed. Uh, Van Soecker says, uh, which strikers should we go for? Very simple, very easy, but plenty of answers available. <laughs> oh, this is a tough
0: one because it, like, I seem to change my mind from week to week on this. The more I delve into a player, the more I think, yeah, you're the guy, and then I move on to someone else when another link comes up. I, th- I still think, for me, when you look at what needs to be done at Arsenal in the summer, and I think there are a few positions that we need to maybe not change in terms of the first choice but we need to add depth to I think that we got to be I don't want to say conservative in what we spend but not be stupid like I like Alexander Isak right he's a player I really like but when you think about how little he's done in front of goal this season and the price it's going to cost to bring him to the club I'm starting to feel like we should probably steer clear of that I think that Darwin Nunez is the one for me that I'm on at the moment Mm, not because not because he's um, the finished article, but just because of what he can become. And I think that he gives you a lot of the things that Mikel Arteta looks for in a striker, but with the goals too. And and I think that's hard to come by. In Lacazette, we've got someone who gives you all the off-the-ball stuff, all the kind of build-up play, but doesn't give you the goals. With Nunez, he gives you that. He gives you the ability to run in behind because he's quite quick across the ground and a powerful mm. runner. He'll run channels if you need him to. Also, if you're struggling to break someone down and you need to whip a ball into the penalty area, it's got a physical presence to cause problems. So he ticks the most boxes for me at the moment. And being at Benfica, I think it's a transfer that is achievable for a, I'm not going to say a cheap, it won't be cheap, but it won't Mm. be stupid money.
1: Yeah, I feel like the the numbers that are being quoted around like 80 million euros, I think are a bit, yeah, hyperbolic, no to be honest. Um, and I think Benfica will probably look for something closer to the £40 million pound mark, probably, yeah. to, to, to get him out of the club. Um, Harvey says, "How will the World Cup delay our signings in the summer and the outgoings? Now, the World Cup is obviously being played in uh, the winter. Uh, and I know that a lot of players, obviously... This is an interesting question because immediately your mind goes, well, no, why would it? Because it's in winter. But actually... If it's a player that you're looking to strength, strengthen in depth of your side and a player knows they're going to be joining Arsenal to, say, compete with other signings and they're in a position at their club where they're starting week in, week out and you know positioning themselves as best they can to get into their World Cup squad, there could be some reluctance to then come and you know fight for a place rather than being guaranteed a spot ahead of the winter.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree with that. I think that players will will be mindful of the World Cup, will be mindful of the fact that they want to be uh, in the public eye going into that competition to stand the greatest chance of mm. of sort of um, of being selected and being picked and featuring regularly in the competition. But it's this whole World Cup is just weird to me. Like, yeah. I watched the draw yesterday and I was buzzing because, you know, when you get all those sort of like montages of like great moments, it, it gets you going to yeah, yeah. get to the World Cup. But I can't get away from the fact... And I know a lot of people have issues with other... Sort of issues with regards to Qatar, and I get all that. Um, I'm not really clued up enough on it to sort of have a really strong opinion either way. Um, but what I would say is the thing that puts me off of this World Cup is the timing of it. The fact that we're going to stop a season, go and have a World Cup, and that we're not going to be able to enjoy it in the sunshine. It, it, it to me, it's weird, and and I can't mm. read I don't really know how it's going to play out, and so I don't really
1: know what impact. This is going to have, it's a hard one to answer, but a good question. It is a good question. Um, Manu, asking another one. Uh, how do you think the manager will keep the players sharp for the end of the season? Take every game at a time mentality or more like a war against our rivals, if that makes sense? It does make sense, Manu. We understand. It. <laughs> what do you think?
0: Uh, I, I think you got just you got to focus on every game at a time. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, life is what happens when you plan for the future or while you're planning for the future. And you can't get caught up in that in this. Like, you got to win your games from week to week. You look around and you see what's going on elsewhere, and that might impact how you then sort of go forward. But you can't look beyond the next seven days at this moment in time. I really don't believe there's any other way to do it right now. So, um yeah, the war, I think this squad have got that mentality anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's building, it's developing. And I think particularly... Uh, at Emirates Stadium against Manchester United, I think we'll make it come across as a war anyway. So, yeah, I think that bit comes a bit more naturally.
1: Yeah, I do too. Um, let's have a look at uh, Creambone, uh, who says, uh, Do you think uh, that the crap that's been thrown at us lately about celebrating has galvanized this Arsenal team?
0: Um, I think it's helped create a bit of a siege mentality. Um, it's one of those where, like, I think that fan bases and and clubs are united and that they're strongest when they feel like everybody's against them, and it does feel like that with mm. this whole celebration police thing. We've seen other clubs do more. We saw Liverpool go and and cheer a two-two draw against West Brom in front of the Kop, and like, and yeah. I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember there being that much talk about it at that yeah. point. So <laughs> it, it does. It is starting to feel like that again, but that's a good sign. Because the last time I felt like that was when we were successful. So to be in that position, again, I think is a positive. And I think it's, um, yeah, I think it does galvanise the team. What about you, Tom?
1: Yeah, I think that there is kind of a bit of, uh, you know, these not that they're villains, but they've been written off and this team's been written off for so long that they feel like they have something to prove. And that's when you give a team with nothing to lose at the start of the season, to be honest, I don't think there was a sense of nothing to lose, but I don't think there was an expectation that we were going to get Champions League. So in that sense, if we were to get it at the start of the season or get it, as I say, at the end of the season, you know, it will be such a huge plus and such a big kind of middle finger to all the doubters that, that really did look at Arsenal as a side. I mean, you look even Gary Neville now is talking so derogatory about Arsenal. It's ridiculous. And that people want to write us off and people are still talking Man I've United about being the so favorites. Oh no, him. I used to really like him as a pundit, to be honest. Not not I don't I can put my rivalries aside when I listen to someone talk about football, to be honest, when they're talking things in a neutral perspective. And he used to actually be quite mm. complimentary about Arsenal. And he used to say stuff like, you know, if it isn't Man United, I'd rather it was Arsenal. Um kind of getting there. And whilst that doesn't sway me to like him anymore. His analysis used to be quite good, but it just seems of late, lazy, really lazy journalist.
0: With him, and and listen, as a player, I despised him. I really did. Um, I grew up at the heat of the Manchester United-Arsenal era. I despised him. And then as a pundit, I sort of started to gain respect for him because I thought a lot of what he spoke was sense. But now I feel like, and not just him, but a few people at Sky Sports are going down the whole, well... I've got to say something that can become a 60 second clip for social media. I don't know if that's coming from production. I've been in the situation on the radio before Mm. um, where a producer has said to me, I know that's your opinion, but can you slightly tweak it for the sake of the debate and the argument? So it does happen, Um, but it just, it it loses value.
1: How did you react in that situation? (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a weird one. And I feel like Gary Neville is doing that now. First top four was impossible. And now, if we finish top four, where well, that will be the peak, and we can't go any further, and it's like, come on, man, just sort of be mm. a bit more. You pride yourself on being balanced, then be balanced.
1: Yeah, and I feel like it's not with Gary Neville. He's got such a, you know, he's got he's got clout. Like, you know, he's 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 in a position where he's appreciated, or rather was by many 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 people as you know one of the top two pundits in the country, alongside Jamie Carragher. And you think about being in that position, you shouldn't have to like create these you know touchstone moments and it's it is a frustration uh there is a part of me that maybe just thinks that it's you know uh he's frustrated about man man united are he's frustrated because arsenal didn't really look to be a threat and now arsenal have have certainly in my mind overtaken man united in, in in where they're at and the future for arsenal in the comparison to the future of man united just it's night and day like you look at what man united are trying to achieve and it's it's Where's it going? What's going to happen with the manager situation in the summer? You know, are they going to be able to invest because they've had these issues behind the scenes? Obviously, they've had the Greenwood situation this this season as well. The the the, the ongoing Ronaldo controversies about whether or not he's the right player to have. Can you get rid of him? He's still got another year on his contract. It's it, it feels like a moment where Arsenal can take advantage of the up upheaval at Man United. And if they don't do it this season, you know, it will be a bit of a missed opportunity not to do so. Um, Tommy says, would love to see uh, Xhaka get the respect he deserves before the season ends. He is having a great season. is giving his all for the club. Time for fans to forgive and show him some respect. Uh, I think Xhaka has been, you know, really solid. I mean, there's obviously been games this season. We quickly forget the Manchester City away game, for instance, you know, the, the giving a penalty away against Man City again in the home fixture, that he's had some difficulties, but he has been, you know, so good that when you look at the summer and people were talking about a central midfielder, the fact that it's so hard to identify a centre mid that actually upgrades upon what he's giving us right now is a testament to how strong he's been this year.
0: Yeah. I've, I've always backed Granit Xhaka in the sense of, I've always felt that he's got a rougher ride from the fans than he deserves. I've never sat here and said that he's perfect. We all know that he's not. We all know that there are certain shortcomings in his game, but You're right, he's been incredibly consistent, not just this season, I think last season as well. I think for a couple of seasons now, he's been one of our most important players. Mm. And you immediately notice the difference when he's not in the side. In terms of the respect thing, I feel like the damage has already been done between him and the fans. There are a section of Arsenal fans that would never give him the praise he deserves, never give him the credit he deserves, and will never warm to him because of what happened in the past. I am... I I I was involved in in a piece of um, uh, work that uh, involved Granite Jaka, and um, he was speaking. Uh, it, it's going to be out soon, and I've I've sort of seen it and sort of offered some feedback on it. But he, um, it, it's an interview that he's done, and it, it's really good because it gives you an insight into the way Granite Jaka is wired as a person. Mm. And I think if you get that, then you would start to naturally. Not be so bothered by some of the things he says because you'll just get that that's part of his character. Um, so I'll share that with everyone like as soon as it's out. Um, it's not my interview, but it was something I was asked to give feedback on, and I found it really insightful, uh, into, um, into Granite Xhaka. So yeah, I think when people see that, perhaps the opinion might shift a little bit more in his favor. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Or it'll go the other way, and everyone will hate him, <laughs> or it'll go the other way, which is yeah, usually the way that it goes. Um, <laughs> We'll finish on uh one more question. Um let's try and scroll up and find the one that I was looking at. Uh captaincy. The SOPS guy says, How do you feel about Ramsdale as a possible captain? And ultimately, who would be your captain for next season? If like, I don't it, it like
0: I don't like goalkeepers being captains as a general rule. So, I don't I want someone who can even can, Buffon. Yeah, there's some special cases where the goalkeeper is yeah. just like an outstanding goalkeeper, a professional, a experienced head, whatever. But I think that for a captain to do his job properly, he needs to be able to kind of understand what's going on in all areas of the pitch. In an ideal world, I think a centre midfielder or a centre-back who can watch things unfold in front of him is is the best place to be a captain. There are obviously exceptions to that rule. I think in, in the modern day, we've seen a shift towards clubs naming their best players as captains, as opposed to the natural-born leader kind of guy, like the type that walks around beating his chest and shaking people up when they're not doing their job. So I think we've seen that shift in football in general. For me, I wouldn't give it to Ramsdale uh, based on what I've just said. I think it's going to go to Kieran Tierney, just based on the fact that he is now taking the armband when Lacazette goes off. I think that that is a telltale sign. But I would probably give it to somebody like Martin Odegaard, just because I think he's a great role model for the club. I think he's a good professional. I think he puts a shift in. Nobody can accuse him of sort of swanning around the place. He's quality. He's in the middle of the park. I I just think that he's the right guy to sort of represent the club moving forward. Tierney's good as well, and I wouldn't have an issue with him getting it. But I just think Odegaard can become a bit more of a poster boy for the club. And that is something that clubs do think about now. When it comes to marketing and, and commerciality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I think that Erdegaard would be my number one pick. I think that I like someone being in the middle of the field as well. Um, I know that Kieran Tierney is another strong candidate for a lot of people, and you can see the reasons why. I just think that maybe him being slightly on far left, the influence on the rest of the team, is it gonna be a strong? And he's not that vocal, actually. Like people you think of him stereotypically. He's not that vocal. Um, he really isn't. He's not someone who screams and shouts at players all game. There are instances where he does throughout the uh, throughout the game, but he's not a consistent kind of, you know, shouter. Whereas Odegaard really is. And you, if you go to the games, and you can hear Odegaard constantly talking to his teammates, constantly speaking. And and I think that being someone in the middle as well, especially in the midfield, is a really strong place. I don't necessarily think that the armband is the be-all and end-all um, with the leadership in the team. I, look, there are a number of players that will be leaders. And I think that whoever gets it will have players around him that are just as good at leading the team forwards from wherever they are on the pitch. So... Whereas we used to talk in the past about Arsenal lacking leaders, I don't think we can say that anymore. And I think there are a number of players that have not only been brought in as leaders, but certainly players that have been developed into leaders as well. And I think that's again, a credit to what the managers instilled in terms of mentality with the team. Harry, thank you so much, mate, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time as always. Uh, If you want to check out, as I say, next week's episode, that will be on the Chronicles of Aguna. So give yourself a shout out, mate. No, thank
0: you for having me, man. Always good to chat with you. And as As Tom said, we'll be doing it on my channel next week, Chronicles of Aguna. You can find it on YouTube or all major podcast stores. Um, So thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure. And fingers crossed the next time we speak, we'll be talking about another three points
1: absolutely um do drop a like on the video before you leave uh and of course i'll be back tomorrow morning with the 8 a.m show no eight am show today Uh, it was my day off today but uh you still got another morning show technically it was just a little (laughs) bit later Uh, i will see you very very soon and as always up the arsenal come on leicester bring home a result for us please please it's the 90 plus minute by fans.